Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. One of the most challenging things a person will ever do is tell others the secrets of who they are. Now, before we jump to any uh, conclusions here that I don't intend, I am not suggesting that we blab all of our stuff to everyone that would be inappropriate. And I'm not even suggesting that we should share our deepest and darkest secrets that only God knows. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says God knows the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And so there are parameters here that we do want to keep in mind. I like to talk about ditches that we don't want to jump in. And in one ditch, it is just keeping completely secret about things that trouble us, some things that we should be talking to at least one close friend about. And so there is wisdom in inviting at least that one trusted friend into our more vulnerable thought life, a person who can handle our unsavory truth. Of course, that other ditch is the person who blabs everything to everyone, has no social filter, and sometimes you'll see them trotting across across social saying things that they really ought not to say. But there is that middle space. There are things that we struggle with, and Sanctification happens in community. God made us in His image. He is a communal God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit being made in that image. There is a desire to want to be with other people, and part of being with other people, we really need to be honest about ourselves because we are fallen creatures and we struggle with so many things. And so without blabbing everything to everyone or sharing things that are inappropriate, we do need that friend because all of us struggle with imperfection. And I think the big idea that maybe for some of us is that we just really need to get over ourselves and come to that humble place to where we can talk to another friend about some of our struggles so that we can mature in Christ. Here's the irony. Many Christians will not do this even though everybody knows that everyone is messed up. Nobody is perfect. It's like two bums on the street not talking about what is apparent to both of them. I mean, isn't that quite odd? They're sitting there in their tattered clothes and holes in their shoes and a bag of food beside them, dirty, unshaven, unbathed. And they're both basically the same. And they will not say the quiet part aloud. Imperfect people are afraid to share their imperfect perfections with other imperfect people. Now, does that strike you as odd? It's like a skunk being afraid to tell another skunk that he stinks. We all stink. And so I'm not judging you any more than I'm judging myself. We all smell bad. And rather than embracing the biblical record that we smell bad... What many of us do, we fall prey to seeking to perfuming ourselves to make ourselves smell better than we know ourselves to be. We're like a bunch of skunks seeking to fake out each other. It is somewhat weird. I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't being set free from people-pleasing, image-guarding, and reputation management wouldn't that be a better option? Now, I recognize that some people do not have that trusted, intimate friend, and I get that. Uh, things happen in our lives, and it's hard to make friends, but I, I don't want to 
make that statement as though that they are victims and they can never make a friend. They can never be a friend to anyone. But I do recognize at this present moment where some people are, they don't have that trusted, intimate friend. I hear this from Christians regularly. They are in a church, a local church, but they do not have that close, intimate friend. Now, again, I'm not making them a victim as though they have no responsibility. I am just stating what many, what many people will say after they hear what I am saying. But then there are others who also fear the risk of relationship because we intuitively know there is risk in relationship. I mean, what would you expect? When an imperfect person gets together with an imperfect person, there will be imperfection, meaning there will be disappointments. You will be offended. You will offend them. They will offend you. That is the risk of relationship. I mean, every dating couple knows this intuitively. Uh, They try to Uh, hide it under uh, the love that they have, the infatuation that they have for each other. But every married person knows this, that after you get married, those imperfections are going to bleed through like a stain under a white paint. And so let me ask you a few questions, maybe, and this would be a good way to, I hope, to provoke you uh, positively and redemptively to think about uh, this idea of not having friends for the reason of spurring one another on to love and good deeds. This is what the Hebrew writer said, that we should be intentionally intrusive in each other's lives. But in order to have that kind of intentionality and intrusiveness, there is risk in relationship. And some people are overly guarded about being vulnerable with that trusted friend. Now, I will always modify friend as a trusted friend because those are the people that you want to share your innermost thoughts with. And so may I ask, how free are you? Are you open to sharing your secrets appropriately? Or are you tempted to cover up and hide your truest self? from absolutely everyone. And I know people who have been burned one too many times, they double down and they overreach and overprotect. And that is dangerous. Uh, One of the most severe punishments that any human would enact on another is to throw them into solitary confinement. I mean, that is the ultimate, that is one of the ultimate punishments. Let's throw them in the solitaire. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be confined in that space where they can have no interaction with no humanity for an extended period of time. But some people will self-incarcerate themselves because, again, they have been burned one too many times. And they do not fully recognize what they're doing to their souls. It is detrimental. But they weigh the options. Well, if I explore the risk of relationships, then I will be hurt, offended by another person. So I'm just going to choose the path of least resistance, and I will self-incarcerate myself from others. That is not a spiritually wise thing to do. Now, if you are one of those people that secludes yourself, that you hide in plain sight, isolating yourself from other people, what ways do you hide? Or maybe, how do you make yourself appear better than you know yourself to be? I'm going to share a few stories with you in just a moment of people who enhance themselves. These are the skunks that perfume themselves to make themselves look better than what they really are. What are your tricks of the trade? 
Do you see how the charade is vain? That when we try to pretend to be something that we aren't, that we fall headlong into reputation management, that in the end it leaves you empty. It feeds low levels of discontentment. And if this is you, I'm not saying it is, but perchance, or if this is someone that you know, what would it take to release you from this bondage? What steps will you take to find that trusted friend? Now, by the way, if you are that individual who recognizes that you are lonely and you haven't become so cynical that you hide from these types of friendships and you really would like to have a friend, then I would encourage you to go to Life Over Coffee. Dot com and just type in friendship. I have written on this for years, and you will find scores of articles, podcasts, even webinars, like one-hour webinars on building friendship. Koinonia uh, is the word that we use uh, around Christendom. Uh, it means community. It means fellowship. It means that in- in- intimate relationship that we can have with one another. But let's go back to our skunkness for uh, just a moment, because the Bible declares that in Romans 3.23, I know you know this, Paul said, for all have sinned, that's kind of universal, and all have fallen short of God's best. Now, I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would agree with the Bible's perspective about ourselves and we would accept its truth claims. We are sinners through and through. The theological term is that we are totally depraved. Now, if we were humble and courageous, we would openly discuss how we struggle with sin with our, here's here's the modification again, with our intimate friends, our appropriate friends, our trusted friends. Not only have we sinned, but it gets worse. Others have sinned against us. You see, sin happens in two ways. We sin, that is active voice, where the action is going away from us, grammatically speaking. And people sin against us. That is passive voice, where the action is coming toward us. We are active and passive sinners, meaning that we actively sin and we passively and unwelcome, we are the recipients of other people's sins. And that is sad, but that's what I was saying earlier. How can one skunk get together with another skunk and both of them not uh, smell, uh, make each other stink? I mean, on one level, it doesn't matter how we got this way, whether it was our doing Whether it was Adam's doing, by the way, talking about passive sinning, being the unwelcome recipients of the sin of another, we all have fallen short. We all have been the recipients of Adam's sin. And, of course, there are the fault of others. Now, I know that everyone can say, well, let me tell you about what this person did with me. Now, it's okay to acknowledge that, but it is is just unbearably and unwisely wrong to play the victim mindset. I think most of you know that the word victim, from an etymological perspective, means vicarious, meaning that you are carrying the sin of another, and we are not built to carry the sins of other people. And so, therefore, if we are sinned against, what we have to do, what we must do, is we have to cast that sin on Christ. And so everybody has been sinned against, and some people just keep carrying that sin forever and 
ever and ever, and they become vicarious victims, carrying the offenses of others. And so whether it is our doing, Adam's doing, or the fault of others, there is something profoundly wrong with us. And those who are well, and Jesus said it this way. I mean, this again is just stating uh, what Paul said earlier. We all have fallen short of God's glory. And then Jesus comes along in Mark 2.17, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. If that bum sitting on the street with the other bum said, I am well, I am healthy, I am wise, I am rich, I am clean, clothed, shaven, I'm in pretty good shape. Well, he doesn't need Christ, and the sadness of all of that is you can look at him and say, no, you do need Christ. You need something better than what you have. But see, Jesus did not come for those who are well and have no need of a physician. He says, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, the pretty, the perfumed, but sinners. The thing we have to guard against is how we respond to our internal dysfunction. It would be better to accept the truth about our unique smells, recognizing that we all stink to high heaven. That's why I cannot judge you and you cannot judge me uncharitably. I mean, why, why would the two bums do that? I mean, the gospel already tells us we are badly broken and in need of repair. And so isn't that the point and the purpose of the gospel? Didn't he come to repair broken people? We call it redemption, to be born again, regenerated, to be born a second time, because our first generation did not work. Christ is our divine repair man. He fixes what is broken. Sometimes some people spend too much time figuring out how they got into their current dysfunction. To spend time trying to discern our active role or our passive reception of sin that led to our present dysfunction is not the best use of our time. The primary concern is what are we doing to repair ourselves? And so what is your repair plan? A person who can accept that he has a problem. Okay, I'm not going to spend my days thinking about what I did, living in regret, as I stare in the rearview mirror, lingering at those things in my past, and I'll just get stuck in my past, or the person with the victim mindset, as they dwell on what other people have done to them. I am not minimizing what they have done, but if you quickly transition to gospel solutions for your messed upness rather than wasting your days blaming others for how you got to where you are, then you are in a much better place. The free individual is not concerned about who he is, what he did, or who did what to him. The free person has moved forward because he accepts the truth claims of the Bible. He is a sinner. He has fallen short of the glory of God. He is the sick that Jesus talked about that is in need of a physician. Will you say this aloud? Quote, I am a messed up person, end quote. Did you say it? Good. Now let's move on. The real struggle is how we fix ourselves. Who is repairing us and how is it happening? That is the question that all of us need to answer. Who is repairing us? Now, there are two options here. You can repair yourself, self-repair. 
Or you can have someone outside of you who has a little bit more knowledge than you and ability. He could repair you. And so how is it happening? One of the biggest temptations for messed up people is to fall prey to the do-it-yourself, self-repair worldview. Now, I want to introduce you to seven of my friends born into sin like me. They are active sinners, and they are the unwanted recipients of sin from others. Now, from a sin perspective, they are all the same. But what I want you to see in these seven people are the seven different ways that they seek self-repair. Now, perhaps you may find yourself in one of these, or perhaps you can add an eighth person, and that be you, if you fall prone to self-repair, which is really a way of saying being self-reliant or self-sufficient. That rather than trusting God, I lean into my self-reliant methodology, and I will fix myself. I recognize that I am bad to the bone, and I will fix myself the way that I want to, rather than trusting God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And so here are my my seven friends. Let's start with Mabel. Mabel's fix-it approach was to enhance her natural beauty. She became a flirt who enjoyed capturing the gaze of guys. It made her feel robust and durable and unbroken inside. She has power over others. She has the ability to manipulate a guy. Now, by the way, just newsflash here, that's not hard to do. God wired men to be attractive to women physically, and that is a good thing, a woman's beauty, because God wants men and women to come together in marriage and to procreate. And so this is God's way, and so he wired man to be attracted to a woman But then when you throw in a pinch of sin, as what happened with the fall of Adam, which I would say is more than a pinch, we are totally depraved. The man's desire for beauty is self-centered. He uses it for self-gratifying purposes. But in this case, in Mabel's uh, situation, she's doing similarly. Uh, She's turning a good thing to be attractive to a man. She's turning it into herself, inverting it in a sinful way so that she can feel better about herself. It is a self-reliant means, in this case, to use beauty uh, to manipulate men uh, so that you can draw them and feel this imaginative love because it's not love. What you're, what you're drawing to you, you're drawing flies. You're drawing lustful men. If you have to win men in sinful, inverted ways, then, well, what you are winning is going to fall, it's going to collapse on your head. Of course, sadly, when Mabel pillars, pillows her head, At night, the gnawing reality of the emptiness of her soul causes her to toss and turn. Her self-repair methodology is only as deep as her makeup. Mabel knows that this is not working, and that is the damnableness of all of it. It is as shallow as her makeup, but this is the only approach that she knows, or it's the only approach that she's willing to lean into rather than trusting Christ. Then we have Biff. Biff pushed through three degree programs 
You only have to spend five minutes with Biff to learn about his education. Academics is his identity. He finds his power, his acceptance, his strength, his significance, the love and respect that he receives because of his academic prowess. It is something that he can do and do easily. Mabel chose her beauty to manipulate the community. Biff is choosing his uh, educational prowess to manipulate the community. His feel-good-about-himself syndrome is as thin as Mabel's makeup. His is about three diplomas thin. I know a pastor here in town who is just like that. I believe I've probably met with him more than 40 times, and this is the truth. Every single time that I have met with him, no lie, he tells me the degree that he has and where he graduated from every single time. He's an insecure pastor uh, who <laughs> he actually runs roughshod over people by manipulating them, uh, but they permit him to get away with it, or they are naive to his tactics. But part of his strategy of his insecurity to hide behind a mask is his education, and he trots that out as often as he can. And then we have Bert. Bert went into body into the bodybuilding route. He is one strong-looking macho man. Just don't just don't let him know that you know that his hulkiness is a weak disguise as he stands in front of the mirror at the gym, flexing his muscles, or as he walks by those mirrors and takes that side glance at himself all impressed also biff has a, a bert has a significant anger problem as you might imagine with many of these people just like the pastor that i was talking about insecure people typically have anger problems they're not the only people with anger problems but usually anger comes with insecurity and so bert is an insecure person which combined with his physique keeps the undiscerning cowering or impressed. And, re and what I mean by undiscerning is because you, you can see a person who has this anger and you can think that they are powerful. Now, I know consequentially it is powerful, especially if you're on uh, the receiving end of Bert's anger. But, but from a spiritual perspective, he's as weak as water. Angry people are insecure people because sinful anger is a manipulative tactic of insecure people to try to control their universe. And so Bert is controlling his universe through his bodybuilding, looking good in front of others, or at least in his own mind. And then, of course, anger is another tactic to control his world. Number four is Marge. Marge became an athlete because she could. It was her strength. By the way, what you will find common in all of these, the thread that weaves through them, they choose the path of self-reliance that is unique to them because they can. They will always lean into their strength. You see, Mabel, in the beginning, well, she is pretty, and so that is her strength. She uses it for her strength, and that's what you will find. Biff, what was his strength? His strength is that academics came easily, easy to him. You see, Biff would never go down a pathway where he would fail. None of these people would go down a pathway where they will fail. Self-reliance always sends you down the path where success is guaranteed because you're operating within your strength. Bert has this work ethic that he has turned into the gym to where he became a bodybuilder. And Marge here, number four, well, she 
naturally is an athlete. That's why I said Marge became an athlete because she could. It was her strength. It became her surefire way to gain attention, significance, acceptance, approval. After she blew out her ACL, her world collapsed. The injury took her away from her self took her took her self repair kit away from her and she lost hope because her hope was in herself in her strength not in christ mabel at the beginning if if something were to happen to her face she would be devastated her beauty would be gone you see when we try self-reliant means we are only as strong as our ability to perpetuate the image that we're trying to perpetuate and in this case with marge she was perpetuating an image through her athletic prowess. Her hope was in what she could accomplish. And when her ACL blew out, well, she became a drug addict. She lost all hope. Nothing mattered to her anymore. And it still doesn't. Number five is Madge. Madge went into the ministry. In her mind, it compensated for the hideousness of what she did as a teen. According to her accounting... Having sex is one of the worst sins a person could commit. She fornicated when she was a teenager, became a Christian thereafter, and she wants to pay for her sin. Now, you will find, a, be not surprised to find a number of people in ministry who are self-atoning. They're paying for their sin. They have these legalistic mindsets as they have never worked through what they did in their past, and the weight of it weighs heavy on them, and so they compensate in in Madge's case here, she compensated by going into the ministry. It's one of the best things that she believed that she could do. Ministry made things right in her self-atoning mind. Now, she will tell you that her salvation is by grace, not by works, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But her practical theology, her functional on-the-ground theology reveals something different. It reveals a legalistic heart condition. Number six is Myrtle. Myrtle is on her third husband. The dating and early marriage season, it worked great for her. She loves being pursued, captured, and loved by a man. After she gets her love cup filled, overflowing, she realizes she married a selfish person. Her cologne, by the way, is two empty love cups colliding in marriage, demanding from each other, sucking each other dry. And it leaves both of them empty and angry and blaming. Two love cups, they're more about receiving than giving, and this is what happened to Myrtle. Well, she is one angry and frustrated lady, and she's in search of number four. And then finally, number seven is Bart. Bart's 35 now and still living at home. He knows it's twisted, but it's safe. And isn't that to compromise? What I am doing is not right, but I prefer safety over doing the difficult thing. I mean, why try anything is there, if there is a risk of failure? And again, we operate within our strengths. And Bart had rather put himself in some kind of self-flagellating prison at home, in the basement, rather than risking the world. He is like what you call an institutionalized convict. That's what my brother was. He felt safer on the inside, and so every time he was released from prison, he did something to go back because he was strong in prison. He could survive in prison because he learned how to live in that world, but he did not know how to live in the wild. 
And Bart is that way as well. Each time he fails, he has to endure the painful reminders of inadequacy, the complications of the fear of man, and a more than subtle reality that he cannot fix himself. And even though he recognizes these things about him, he chooses not to try, rather than to try and fail. All seven of these people realized that there was something wrong with them. They stink to high heaven, like the rest of us. All seven tried man-centered, man-glorifying ways to overcome their soul's shame-guilt dynamic. All seven put on a front of having it together, which worked to varying degrees, depending on their ability to pull off their charades. All seven of them are miserable. All seven of them have not come to embrace the liberating truth claims of the gospel. Every person receives two options for their transformation, for their ongoing maturity. Option number one takes you down the road of self-effort, self-help, self-reliance, and self-centeredness, as these seven have done. Option number two takes you down the path of dying to yourself while relying on someone more special and more effective. There is no question that it will take much work to fix personal brokenness. Every one of us can testify to that. Sometimes we become so tired. I am still this way after all these years. But the real question is, whose works will we rely on for our transformation? The most evident and natural temptation is to rely on ourselves like our case study friends. The self-reliant approach is native to all of us. This is what Adam did. After he sinned in the Garden of Eden, he relied on himself. He found him some fig leaves. He cut them and wrapped himself in them. He began to run, began to blame his problems on others. All of these are self-reliant techniques rather than trusting God. Trusting others is difficult for insecure, shame-guilt-ridden people who prefer a self-sufficient, I-can-do-it-myself mantra. Didn't you learn long ago that you can't trust anyone? I mean, can't you hear the cynic talking now? I mean, wouldn't the cynic say, don't you know that nobody else will come through for you? Besides, you have gifts. You have qualities, assets, strengths, skill. It makes sense to leverage them to your advantage as the cynic continues to talk. The cynic is the person who has been burned too many times, and he does not think clearly any longer. He will say that others will let you down. Well, of course they will. This is what I was saying other, uh, 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 earlier, is that two bombs on the street, that they will offend each other. It is the risk of relationship. And the cynic will say, but you will never let yourself down. Well, actually, you will. If you cannot see in those seven scenarios that I painted for you, all seven of those people are letting themselves down. People will not make you feel better about yourself, but self-reliant idolatries can as the cynic continues monologuing. But did you know? An unguarded strength could be your most significant liability. I would love to sit my seven friends down in a small group and talk to them about their unguarded strength. 
Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. And my seven friends, they all have a strength, but it is a double compounded weakness because it is incarcerating them even deeper into the misery that they are already experiencing. Could it be that your strengths have further incarcerated you? Have you considered that you could be a slave to your God-given abilities to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. These side effects of self-sufficiency are what can happen with our strengths. Personal gifting can be a tool to enslave ourselves, as you see with my seven friends, into a more profound self-reliance. Anybody who seeks to enhance their reputation because they are overly concerned with what others think about them will be tempted to strengthen themselves through their personal abilities. Their mantra is, I can do all things through me who strengthens me. They're taking Philippians 4.13 and inverting it. As many of you know, Paul said, the text actually reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the insecure, shame, guilt-ridden person who maybe has been burnt one too many times by other people will turn completely inward, self-incarcerate himself, and his new Bible verse, his own Bible verse will be, I can do all things through me who strengthens me. Our strengths and abilities may impress others, and they may garner the long-craved approval we desire, but it does not garner the acceptance of God. This is the thing about my preacher friend who, every time we met, he would say that I have this degree and I graduated from this seminary. What he didn't know, because I didn't have the relational bridge to tell him his insecurity and fear of man. I mean, this is what you have to see that was tucked inside of why he was saying what he was saying. He was trying to impress me. And this is one of the difficult things about helping people like him who struggle with high-end fear of man is that he wants the approval of others. And if the person that he is seeking approval from lets him in on his little secret, then it would devastate him and it could potentially ruin the relationship. And so I was, I was privy to that and mindful of that. And so I did not want to crush him beyond what, was, what would help him. But we never had that relational bridge where I could tell him that every time you say that, it's actually less impressive and it makes me sadder to hear you say those words because I know what you're doing and you know what you're doing. But we can't say the quiet part aloud right now because, well, it's just not appropriate. The Father is not impressed with our works, even if our good deeds are righteous. God is pleased with the works of His Son. It is Jesus who pleases Him. This is what we read in Mark 1.11 when the heavens open up. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Lord will never find pleasure in our finely honed skill set or well-established reputations. He is pleased with His Son's works and His Son's reputation. It is His Son's name that He wants to put on display. To glorify, to make famous is one way to define that word glorify. He wants to put Jesus on display. He wants to magnify the Son. He doesn't want to magnify us and put our works and reputations on display. 
If your self-produced reputation gives you the desired approval, do you think you can gain something? That you have gained something? Can you see how living for reputation and image enhancement is a vain life? Our seven friends all struggle similarly. They sense the stinging guilt deep inside of them. Part of what guilt is, part of that guilt is what they were born with because of Adam. We're all born with a sense of shame and guilt. That's part of the fall of Adam. It's an Adamic problem. And then part of their sense of shame came from fellow sinners, what has happened to them. And of course, part of it is what they have done to themselves. The decisions that they have made, it is a threefold problem. We have made bad decisions. People have made bad decisions and have hurt us. And of course, we're all fallen in Adam. But my seven friends, rather than trusting and resting in Christ to free them from their internal turmoil, they carved a self-generated path to make themselves feel better about themselves. And the end for each of them has left them hollow, empty, and unsatisfying. Mabel will tell you if you can have a private moment with her as she pillows her head, our beauty queen, that she knows is true. I think the other six intuitively know. I would trust that they do because if we do this so long and our consciences become so dull or so hardened, after a while we will lose sensitivity. We can quench the Spirit of God or grieve the Spirit of God to a degree that we lose all perception, internal perception of what we are doing to ourselves. There is no amount of work that we could ever do to satisfy the guilt that is held against us. There is no amount of work that we could ever do to satisfy this internal shame. Shame is an internal awkwardness that we feel inside of ourselves, and there's not enough reputation management or image enhancement that will satisfy that. Our guilt is an infinite guilt. Our shame is an infinite shame, and it demands an infinite payment. Finite people like you and me, we do not have what it takes to pay an infinite price. We can pay a little bit, but it was an infinite crime. We committed an infinite crime against God, and it's going to take an infinite price for that infinite transgression. The only way that we could pay for our sin against God, we could pay it. We would pay it in eternity, and that is why we have a hell. It is for people who do not want to do it God's way, but they prefer to pay their infinite debt themselves. And if they continue to reject God and His Word, they will pay that debt infinitely, eternally in hell. Mercifully, God gave us another choice. There is another infinite option for what we have done. God gave Himself an infinite gift in Jesus Christ. He became a sacrifice for our infinite crime. This kindness from God is the gospel. All he asks us to do is to accept his gift. He wants us to cease from our works and enter into his rest. Now, perhaps for some of you that you're listening to this and you say, well, I have accepted his gift. I have been born again, and maybe you have been regenerated, and I hope that's true. If you have not, I, I would appeal to you to 
I would appeal to you to reach out to us and ask. Uh, go to lifeovercoffee.com and go to the footer of our coffee shop and get in touch with us and say, I was listening to this message you gave about being imperfect and how I needed to get over myself. And I have tried all of these self-reliant means to working within my strengths to enhance, enhance myself. But I know that these things are not working. And right, they do not work. They will not work. They will always leave you empty and discontented. But I would like to know how to become a Christian, to be what you call regenerated, to be born again. Yeah, sure. We would love to walk you through that process. Now, perhaps the good Lord has paid your debt, but there is still a problem. You see, what I did not tell you about our seven friends is that they all profess Christ. All seven of my friends are Christians. The mercy of God has regenerated them. Now, this raises some big questions. If you are a Christian, why are you not living in the freedom that the gospel offers for freedom? Christ has set us free. Why are you not enjoying your entire inheritance? Our entire inheritance is not just being regenerated, but growing up into mature manhood and womanhood to become Christ-like. Why are you still seeking to promote your glory and not Christ? These are the things that I would like to ask my seven friends as they prance in front of the mirror in the gym, as they trot out their uh, paper-thin diplomas, as uh, they uh, do these, uh, as they live in the basement, not interacting with anyone. Why? Why is the gospel not impacting your sanctification if you are born again? It may be the ultimate question to ask here, the core question, what are you afraid of? What do you fear the gospel has been powerful enough to save them, but not to sanctify them progressively. Is there anything wrong with that statement? Of course there is. I mean, in essence, they are unbelieving believers. They are functional atheists. Oh, they have been born again, but when it comes to boots on the ground, they act like practical atheists. They are a people who the gospel has saved, but the gospel is not practically ruling their hearts, and we know that's not a gospel problem. And so what do they fear? Why are they still bound to image reputation and people-pleasing? These individuals still want to protect, to guard, and to hide their true selves. They live to impress people as though their stinkiness is something to be proud of among their friends. Though they trust Christ, they still want to hold on to pockets of glory, spreading their fame, promoting themselves. Now, if any of these things describe you to any degree, or if you know someone who struggles in these ways, I would encourage you to have them to listen to this message. You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. Uh, an entire transcript. You can read it. You can print it. You can share it. It's free. It's free to you. You can find it in a video. You can find it as a podcast. Go to lifeovercoffee.com. You're looking for the title, I'm Imperfect. You're Imperfect. Let's get over ourselves. And so if this describes you or a friend that you know that is struggling with being honest with themselves about who they are and how they need help, 
Well, then I would begin with this prayer. I've written out a, a prayer that, that you can use word for word or write something similar yourself. And ask the Father to release you from your fear. Let the gospel do more than save you. Let it sanctify you also. The best thing you can do is find a trusted friend and reveal your actual heart to them appropriately. Not blabbing everything, but not keeping everything a secret. Let them know that you are a pretender and that you need help. As one bum turns to another bum on the street, say, hey, I'm a bum. And he's going to say, really? Didn't know that. You see, I think if we just say the quiet part aloud, we already know it about ourselves. Let them know what they already know about you, that you smell bad. Who knows? Your humble and honest transparency may be the key, the impetus to releasing them from a similar bondage. I've had this experience many times, and this is a tip in our training as we train biblical counselors, as we train church people and leaders in discipleship. One of the things that I appeal to them to do is that when you're meeting with somebody, let them know that you're a sinner. Because what happens so often is that a counselee or someone will be sitting before you, and they'll assume because you are like in some kind of position of authority, or at least you are a disciple maker or a counselor, uh, they will think that you have it all together. You don't want to communicate that message. I mean, for many reasons, but you really don't want to com communicate that message. And then when you, here's one of the reasons, when you let them in on that dirty little secret that you are a bum to, now I'm not talking about being inappropriate in any way, but just letting them know on what they should know about you already, then you will find that it will be very releasing to them. And then that other bum, he'll start talking, wow, really, you're a bum. And thank you for explaining all your bummery to me. I'm a bum too. Can I share some things with you? You'll find that happening more times than not, especially if, that, if they're at this place of humility. Of course, there will be others that will be listening to this and say, oh man, there is no way I would ever do that. I get it. But I think more times, more often than not, I think this is one of the things that would release our church, uh, our powerful church, if is people would be more honest about the reality of who they are. There are more people in the church who are willing to do that, but they're afraid to do that, and they just need somebody to lead them well. And so lead them with your bummery. Uh, have this honest prayer. Here's the prayer that uh, I have written. I use this. And again, you can use it. You could take it. That's fine. Or rewrite it. Write your own. But here's the idea. Dear Father, I have tried many things to make me feel better about myself. Some of those notions were objectively wrong. Some of them give the perception of righteous deeds. I come across as better than I am. Remember what Isaiah said in 64.6, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so it really doesn't matter if I do bad things or good things. All things are bad things. My efforts, good and evil, have closed my eyes to the truths of the, truths of the gospel. I have blinded myself. One of the most dangerous places that I could ever be is blind to my own blindness, the worst kind of blindness. I have not fully rested in the gospel. I know the truth, and I know that I am a pretender. Please help me to be honest with you. Please help me to be honest with others. I don't want to do this anymore. 
I don't want to do evil or good works for image enhancement or reputation management. I want to rest in your divine pleasure because I trust your son's works alone. But I cannot do this alone. I need divine intervention. Will you give me the faith to live like a set-free Christian? I don't want to be a Christian in name only. I don't want to be just a saved Christian. I want to mature in my sanctification. I don't want to act like a functional atheist. No, I, I, want, to, I want my inner, inner ontological reality to be a practical reality, too. I want to be consistent with who I am in Christ and how I live in the world. Will you give me the faith to share my struggles? I love you. I love the gospel. Make it real to me and release me from the bondage of self-reliance that my fear perpetuates. Will you bring a friend to help me? I'm a debtor to your mercy. David said in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, I love the entire psalm, but he said this at the end of the psalm, for you will not delight in sacrifice. He doesn't want our sacrifices. I would give it to you, David said. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. He doesn't want our burnt offerings. David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Something that God will not despise is a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. And that is the starting place to break the bondage of self-reliance so we can rely on the divine repair man. And so if your heart is not broken and you know it needs to be, then that would be the first prayer to pray. Now, I want to ask a few questions, and I'll wrap up here, and I trust this will help you. And I would encourage you to share this with a friend, and especially if you are helping someone who struggles with uh, image enhancement and reputation management, maybe giving them the link to this article at our website and or, or just print it off for them. You're welcome to do that. This is also in my book, uh, Loving Me, The Hidden Agenda of self-esteem. This is chapter number five. And so however you get to it, please share it with that person. Use it as a homework assignment. And perhaps these questions that I'm asking you will help them as they work through this life-dominating sin pattern. Question number one, will you have a long-form discussion with a friend about what I've just shared with you? Yes or no? If it's yes, then please name the friend and go to them as soon as you can. If it's no, please think about why you're answering that way. And maybe even ask God to change your heart. Number two, if you do not have that friend, and, and I recognize that as a possibility, I talked about that at the beginning. Would you go and talk to your pastor or a spiritual leader? Would you share these very things that I'm sharing with you, with him? And then ask for his assistance for finding you a friend so that you can begin to build that relational bridge to them so that you can carry these more challenging truths over at that appropriate time. Not when you meet them. Hi, my name is Rick, and here are all my sin issues. No, don't do that. Number three, if you do not have a pastor or other spiritual leader that you're comfortable talking to, will you speak to God, asking him to remove any excuses that hinder you from finding this friend. So you can have that long-form discussion 
Act as though a mature walk with God depends on this life project, because it does. And I recognize sometimes when I talk about these things to other people, they do, they start listing out all these excuses. And so that's why I said in this particular, in question number three, I'm trying to eliminate all the excuses that people will proffer uh, because they really, ultimately, they don't don't want to do what they know they need to do. I don't want to manipulate you at all. I I would like for the Spirit of God to convict you. But James did say in 417 that to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, illuminating your mind and saying, hey, you need to take care of this, my strongest appeal for you would be to take care of it. Number four, perhaps returning to the questions at the beginning of Excuse me, perhaps returning to the questions at the beginning of this chapter and answering them with a friend will assist you in your journey of faith. I'm going to give you the questions, but I'm not going to elaborate on them because I have. But here are the questions that I ask you. How free are you? Number two, are you open to sharing your secrets appropriately? Number three, or are you tempted to cover up and hide your truest self? Number four, if you are, Tempted to hide your truest self, in what ways do you hide? Number five, excuse me, I'm going to have to take a drink here. i got something in my throat. Now, this is some of our merch, and I did not get something in my throat just to show you our wonderful merch, but here we are. Uh, these, This is one of our larger 28-ounce uh, tumblers. It comes in three kinds, uh, a sea glass, black, and then an off-white. And so you're welcome to uh, check them out. We also have smaller tumblers as well, hats and T-shirts and all sorts of things. I would love you to go to our store at lifeovercoffee.com and get one of these tumblers. One of the cool things about them is that they don't leak. Now, that is really fantastic. Now, this is over my laptop, so (laughs) it doesn't leak. Uh, and so people like that. I was sharing this with a friend the other day, two friends, actually. We were at a uh, housewarming party, and I was showing them how these things didn't leak, and uh, the cap was not closed all the way, and when I turned it upside down, I I spilled coffee all over the floor. It was kind of embarrassing. But since I'm not into image enhancement and reputation management, <laughs> even though it was embarrassing. Uh, So get our merch. Uh, You won't leak uh, if you close the cap all the way. Number five, how do you make yourself appear better than you know yourself to be? And then number six, what are your tricks of the trade? Number seven, do you see how the charade is vain? It leaves you empty and feeds low levels of discontentedness. Number eight, if this is you, what would it take to release you from this bondage? Number nine, what steps would you take to find that trusted friend? All right, question number five in this CTA. For a deeper conversation, reflect and answer the questions about our seven reluctant and self-reliant friends. Again, I will share these few questions with you and not elaborate. There are five quick questions that I ask about them. Perhaps it would be these be questions that you could answer as well or someone that you're helping, number one. Why are they not living in the freedom that the gospel offers? Number two, why are they not enjoying their entire inheritance? Number three, why are they still seeking to promote their glory and not Christ? 
Number four, why is the gospel not impacting their sanctification? And then number five, what do they fear? Now, what I have given you is a very long-form narrative about this problem of struggling with our imperfection. I have given you a lot of questions here. And so what you really have here is a life project. And I would encourage you, if you are struggling this way, then I would appeal to you to take this and work through it. And again, you can find all of this on our website. Now, one of the bonuses somebody put on socials the other day that one of the things that they like about our content is that we internally link our content, meaning that once you go here on this particular article, that there are links throughout the article. And so you can spend months just on this one article and it will help you tremendously. And so use it as an assignment for you pastors, small group leaders, biblical counselors, for those of you who do the work of disciple making. I trust that's every Christian because that's what our calling is. But for those of you who do the work of disciple making, uh, please use this as one of your homework assignments. Bookmark it, share the URL, or please just print it off or give the person our book. Our digital downloads on our store are all free. And this particular one where you will find this chapter is in the book, Loving Me, The Hidden Agenda of Self-Esteem. And I would encourage you to share that digital download uh, with a friend. If we can help you in any way, please come to lifeovercoffee.com. I have been writing since 2008, producing content, writing videos, podcasting. We have millions of words uh, at our ministry, and you just hit the search feature, and you will find what you were looking for more than likely. We also have courses that you can take, and I would love for any of you to take our courses. We have a long-form course called our Mastermind Program, where we teach people the skill of disciple making. And you can grow in your gifting as a disciple maker by taking our self-paced, all-inclusive mastermind program, meaning that you don't have to travel anywhere. You can take this entire course at home and never leave. We designed it that way on purpose because there are a lot of people who are 30, 35, 40, 45, and 60 plus years of age, and they're doing life now, and they can't uproot and go to some university. And so they have a course here, and it's all contained, and it is supervised. If you want the supervised course, you can have it, and we respond to uh, all of the feedback. And so that you provide us. And so think about our mastermind course. So I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. Let's get over ourselves. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.